0: Hello everybody, welcome to Roleplay Chat. It's me, Matt. I am a game master who can't stop talking about roleplaying games. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about making cinematic moments for your table and engaging your players so that those cinematic moments really pop and really are, you know, important for their characters and for the people that are playing. But before we do that, I wanted to remind everybody about the affiliate links for the show. If you guys like making minis on Hero Forge, or you like buying tabletop RPG material at DriveThruRPG, there are links in the show notes that you can link up to those websites to buy your materials or your minis, and a small fraction of that is going to go to me. I highly uh, appreciate it, if you can, because that money is going to help make the show a lot better. Alright, enough of that. Let's get into the show, into the discussion. I hope you guys enjoy. Today, I am joined by Rhett, the DM from Stack of Dice. Rhett, why don't you say hello to the listeners and tell us a little bit about yourself, your show, and your uh, geek history, if you will.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Matt. I appreciate having the opportunity to join you on your show. Uh, I am Rhett, and I am the Dungeon Master for a little family-friendly podcast called Stack of Dice. Uh, We started our show in... May of 2018. So we're we're actually coming up on our four year anniversary, our birthday. So we'll have to find a special way to celebrate that.
0: Oh, that's Uh, awesome! Yeah, congratulations ahead of time. Thank you,
1: thank you, appreciate it. Um, we started the show because there were a couple family friendly shows out there, and we really enjoyed getting to listen to them. And I I have a pretty rotten commute sometimes, and so uh, anything that fills that. Dead time in the car is great and you know I got to thinking there are these fun podcasts out there doing it and I think we have a good story to tell so it'd be a lot of fun to really dig in and try and do one of our own and so my son and I got to talking we started planning I just happened to stumble across a uh, a Photoshop tutorial for creating maps and Brought it home to show him, hey, look at the fun thing that I did. And he said, you know, that could be our world for the show. <laughs> and so everything kind of blossomed from several things coming together all at once. And then finally, in May of 2018, we were able to get started. And uh, we, have, we have a table of three players and me. And, um, you know, just getting together basically every other week, sometimes weekly. To record has just been a blast to share the laughter, share the story, share time together, telling a story that has a lot of meaning to us. Awesome. Uh, That's really cool. If, if, you know, if you can give me the elevator
0: pitch of your world, what, what would that be?
1: Sure. Uh, the world that we created is called Vardalon. Most of the action that we have covered in our show, all the action that we've covered in our show takes place on a, a small part of that world, uh, the continent called Edelin. Once upon a time, magic had been a very real and ubiquitous power within this world, but a cataclysmic event happened and it disappeared almost overnight. It's starting to trickle back into the world through some very specific r- means, uh, primarily through these little shattered pieces of crystal called star stones. And by using that, Players are able to tap into this magical force, but as they go, they are beginning to uh, understand more and more about the nature of magic and where where these shards have come from. And uh, along the way, they're using these powers to fight against an evil that has been growing in the world.
0: Very cool. Very cool. And uh, as far as game mastering styles, I know it's never easy to to, <laughs> to to tell other people about that. You know, it's it's always easier when someone says, oh, I think you're like this. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, f- for our listeners, just to kind of get a sense of, of how, you, you know, you run games and, and the things that you enjoy in your games, what would you say your game master style is like?
1: Well, if you talk to one of our players, I'm very dictatorial. (laughs) I don't allow food or (laughs) drinks at the table because you know I I don't like listening to people eating. uh, But don't you think
0: your podcast (laughs) listeners want to hear
1: people crunching on Cheetos? (laughs) Of course, you know. Yeah, we are ASMR second, right? Yeah. Uh, So we uh, we uh, my style is primarily story focused. I, I love narrative. I like to get a flow to it. And uh, some of our feedback has been, I forget that it's an actual play, and it feels more like a story. So I, I really focus on trying to draw the players in through language. And uh, we we made some early decisions that we weren't going to use battle maps, that we weren't going to use miniatures, because we wanted e- we wanted all of us to focus on describing things narratively.
0: Awesome, cool. That yeah, that's a fantastic perspective to bring. And I I, I think that that's then it'd be a fun difference for us because I also am very narrative, Hmm. but tend to really love having visual aids. You know, I, I often stumble, find, try to find my words and I'm, you know, bouncing between English and French in my head all the time. (laughs) So it's a a struggle that I can speak in one language for an extended period of time, but yeah, when I'm, when I'm game mastering, having things out on the table is something that I always strive for. So it's, it's going to be, it's going to be fun talk to see how that differs in our in our recommendations and our advice as for cinematic moments you know when we sure. we're talking about cinematic moments and i think i just gave it away i probably gave it away already actually in my <laughs> pre-recorded intro but um yeah so today listeners Rhett is here joining me to talk about cinematic moments to talk about how to fabricate these moments in your game, how to engage your players in the right way to really allow for these things to happen naturally. So as always, we're going to define our terms first. What do we mean when we say a cinematic moment?
1: So cinema comes to us from Greek. Uh, the word was kinema, which means motion. And so we see that in kinesiology and all that stuff. But the idea that that things are moving uh, generally, as we think of them today in film, it's it's emotion that is exaggerated for the for the purpose of describing something visually. and so when i when I say cinematic moments, I am thinking of things that have lots of movement, lots of moving parts, lots of things to really uh, at least paint a mental picture of so that um that we're hopefully all imagining the same thing together.
0: I, I agree entirely. One hundred percent. I think it's it's often going to be a moment with a lot of moving pieces, a moment that I think also is being built up towards. You know, mm-hmm. it's sometimes they come out of nowhere, but oftentimes they come packed with emotion. And and that emotion is going to have to be built up from something. Your player characters, your NPCs aren't going to feel traumatically sad about something happening if you know, there isn't kind of a history there built up right. to kind of cause that emotion to come to the surface. So I think if you know, if I'm gonna fixate on one or two keywords here, I, I think it's really gonna be this moment that is packed with emotion and also tends to be kind of like a climax of sorts. Mm-hmm. Again, not always. But um yeah, so I think if we smoosh together our two definitions, I think we we kind of have a consensus here. So you know not to list off a whole bunch of things here and listeners forgive me i have five categories of cinematic moments that i thought of before recording and Rhett, we talked a little bit about this in our in our pre you know pre-discussion before, before mm-hmm. recording the show and i i want to encourage you to add to these and, and if you have examples that you can think of from your actual play or even from from other games that you've run i i'd love to hear them so my my idea here is to try and partition cinematic moments into these five categories and there might be more i'm hoping i've i've been pretty uh, all-encompassing with these but if as we're as we're talking or if as i'm talking you notice that perhaps we should include a sixth or seventh category please please let me know sure uh so so these cinematic moments can be planned and unplanned and the, the first one that i think is probably the most you know it comes to my mind the first it's the action scene that is an action, moment a moment of, of intense action that is cinematic by virtue of how things are moving quickly, how there's high stakes because of, of a very, you know, intense combat with a big monster or a, a large series of puzzles or traps the players have to get through. And it, it's kind of like those, you know, AAA video game action scenes or, or a, a Marvel movie where they're fighting the big bad or whatever. To me, that is... A cinematic moment by virtue of like the high pace uh, of action
1: yeah and there's there's really two ways that i see that playing out in a game uh, the first one is i mean you've got matt mercer who really brought this to the forefront i think but how do you want to do this and so as the player as the character does something to defeat an enemy the dm turns over the reins to describe mm. how things happen not only are you allowing the player to embellish on the story, but you're giving the player agency in your world to begin creating. And so I, I love the idea that as much as possible, I try and turn the story over to the players to let them have a hand in creating because I think that's where you find most of the engagement. It's it's when it's no longer my world, it's our world. And that's why I start most of our episodes with who want, who's ready to tell a story. Uh, because I want us all to feel like we have a hand in in the creation aspect of the game. Uh, so being able to have a player say, this is my moment. I just landed the final blow. Uh, here's how I do it. And then get as descriptive as you want. Have fun with it. Maybe have something funny happen. But whatever it is, make it memorable. So that's one great way, I think. Uh, the other, let me see if I can remember here. Talking about action.
0: While you're while you're thinking about it, yeah. Rhett, I, I also, you know, something that we do at our table that I find makes these sometimes sluggish combats, you know, let's be honest, combat can sometimes get a little bit uh, slowed down, especially if you have players who have a new ability that they're not too sure how to use and things like mm-hmm. this. Uh, something that we do at my table to kind of help action moments feel as cinematic as they ought to is usually, you know, if the players are feeling inspired, I'll have The player, the person who its turn is starting, describe how they witnessed the previous player's actions. Mm. So if you have a a mage who's casting some kind of fireball or shooting out magic missiles or whatever to an enemy, you know, they roll their dice, they make their decisions, they they hit the enemy to do some damage or what have you. But then he goes off to the next person who's going to say, an eyewitness Eleanor blast out this ray of plasma from her hands it strikes the enemy square in the jaw and they combust and it's fun because it it gets uh, you know based on initiative order and things like this you're not always getting the descriptions from the same people so so it's this kind of constructive collaborative approach to how the action of the of the story kind of unfolds it's yeah. uh it's fun it's 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 neat so you were saying red that you 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 have a a second version here of of an action yeah. sequence that might be interesting.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm racking my brain here. Um, I had <laughs> I had two things very clear in my head as we as we launched into this point, and I'm afraid the second one is just gone.
0: That's all right. I'm sure I'm sure it'll find its way back to you. And yeah. if not, you know, I think we got our point across. an, an yeah. action sequence is is by virtue of how fast things are happening, how how much action th- there is can be very cinematic. It has a great opportunity for you to be cinematic as a game master and as as a table. Uh, another moment or another kind of emotion that I feel like often can really be ramped up and turned into a cinematic moment is sadness. In any of the off- offshoots of sadness, you know, grief, uh, even fear, things like this can really create this moment where you zoom in, you really zoom in on the emotions of a character. It can be a monologue. It can be a one-on-one conversation between characters or an important NPC. It can be a dream, things like this, but, but these moments really let you see inside a character. And this moment of hyper-focus and w- vulnerability can really create something that, you know, it is the same as what might be in a Hollywood movie. So I, I don't know, Rhett, if I'm I'm sure you had moments of sadness in, in your game. Absolutely. Is, are there any that stand out to you as you know prime example of something that would be cinematic?
1: Yeah. So uh, one of our characters, uh, we as we started the show, I thought it'd be fun to dip into some of the Unearthed Arcana classes that were available at the time. And one of those was the mystic. So we have this guy that grew up in the woods by himself uh, very little in the way of social propriety but he had a spoon that was very dear to him uh, a, a holdover from his childhood and so everything in the early episodes is about him and his spoon where's my spoon where is my spoon and you can tell through the first oh, 15 16 17 episodes that you know he is all about this this heirloom that he is desperate to hold on to uh, they run into an npc who is a little sketchy but um it's obvious that he has been through a traumatic event as they escape a city and and some big some early bad guy activity and they finally get to a point where they can bed down for the night they they feel like they're safe and this guy just falls apart the npc just falls apart mm-hmm. and our mystic bless his heart shuffles over and very awkwardly says here here you can hold my spoon if you want and everything just slowed down it, And the others at the table, and including me, are just staring at our mystic, going, "Are you kidding? This, this is your spoon." <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was such a powerful moment because we realize, through that 15-16-episode build-up, this wasn't just a, a random gesture. This was him willingly handing over an element of himself mm-hmm. to allow an NPC to, uh, to have a measure of comfort. Now, obviously it didn't mean a whole lot to the NPC because he's like, oh great, now I've got a spoon. But, you know, for us, I guess through dramatic irony or whatever, we we understood the uh, the importance of that gesture.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and this is an example of that buildup, right? You know, had mm-hmm. had that player not talked about how important the spoon was to them, you know, or maybe once or twice, but in passing, that that gesture would have fallen on deaf ears like nobody right. would have nobody would have been able to appreciate how important
1: of a of a decision that was or of, a, of an action that was so that's exactly. yeah that's really cool and, and what i appreciated about that moment in particular is you know we, we've just come out of dramatic craziness through a, a very epic fight the players have had a harrowing escape i mean they've been pursued by bad guys uh they are finally at a point where they're just exhausted. their Their horses are winded, and and I mean, they they're resting. But are they really safe? Mm. So there's feeling like a like an approaching thunderstorm in the air. And yet, um, as soon as this mini scene happens, and again, this is one of those organic moments. This was not at all scripted. Uh, it felt like time just stopped. And then suddenly, the spotlight shines down on these two. PC and NPC for this very special moment to happen. And I think by, by encouraging that kind of interaction, uh, and through the, uh, through encouraging players to really interact with the world around them, we were able to have that moment. Uh, how many games have we both been in where NPCs are only background material? Mm -hmm. And so for, for a player character. To willingly surrender a, an object of supreme personal worth to an NPC was was a moment that I I've really treasured.
0: That's oh, that's I I can feel it I can feel the shivers already just you know it, oh that's an amazing amazing <laughs> example and Rhett, you know talking about how time stopped mm-hmm. I think is is it's almost a quintessential part of of especially you know in in cinematography. And I'm I'm taking this from some of the research I did ahead of time, which was unrelated to tabletop RPGs. But, you know, one of the ways that a lot of movies can emphasize a moment and be cinematic is by, you know, slow-mos or changing the pace very quickly of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think exactly like you're saying, when when you're going from adventure, adventure, adventure to a campfire scene where you're talking things out, you're cooking the food over the fire and the, the pace of the game slows down, it kind of replicates that maybe, you know, intentionally or not. It, it kind of like the, the Pavlovian effect of our brain, the part of our brain that, you know, witnesses this in TV shows and movies is now almost gearing itself up for a cinematic moment when you have this, this slow, you know, reveal of a tragic backstory or, That's right. Or an exchange of information that you know, brings another character to tears or what have you. And mm. I, I think that that's something that perhaps we can try to do. i don't I don't know. I, I never really thought of it uh, more than now,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. And uh, that's that's a lot of fun to to make those connections. Uh, I'll tell you, one of the challenges is as a DM, learning to identify when these moments are happening and then just mm. stepping out of the way to let them happen. Uh, to to allow the players to have that instead of just okay it's just another campfire uh, you're rested you've got all your hit points back let's move on letting them have that moment to uh, to appreciate the world and the camaraderie in a way that that comes through as role playing I think I think that's important for us to understand also
0: yeah absolutely Abs- I couldn't agree more um. So let's let's move on to our the next category because I can already feel myself trying to give more strategies. And <laughs> I'm going to try and save that for the the second uh-huh. half of the show. Yeah, but I agree with you a hundred percent, Red. It's so hard, it's especially when you're trying to stick to a certain pace. And anyway, yeah. anyway, uh, yeah. but yes. Uh, so another another category is uh, joyful moments. We t- talked about sad moments, but I think joyful moments can be equally cinematic. They're they're often you know after what would be perhaps a very hard fight or a big victory, or sometimes maybe overcoming an obstacle that you didn't expect you would. Perhaps it's a celebration, things like this. I I feel like can create a cinematic moment by virtue of kind of the emotions bleeding through and and the happiness and joy and relief sometimes. So I I don't know if, if you agree with me, Rhett, And if you don't,
1: I, You're do, I do welcome not to, but <laughs> really, I think cinematic moments best lend themselves to moments of excess of emotion, whatever mm-hmm. that emotion is. Mm-hmm. And so, again, learning to identify those moments, uh, I, I'm trying to limit my examples to earlier episodes so that I'm not killing too much of what happens later in the more in the heavier moments of the story so far. Uh, but there, there is a moment where the characters are celebrating their first victory in battle. And it's, to me, it maybe it had a little more significance than to maybe the average younger listener, but they're at a party in this town that they just saved. And again, the mystic who really doesn't get humanity, doesn't understand the the nuances of personal interaction, a little girl comes to, to him and tugs on his robe and says, thank you for saving us. And then she climbs up in his lap and then lays her head on him. You know, and again, to me, that was, that was another way of slowing it down, but savoring the moment of joy. We have Mm -hmm. earned this, there's food, there's celebration, there's laughter, but, but having this little girl come and express in a very simple way, her thankfulness for, for the salvation that the village enjoys, uh, I thought that was a fun way of maybe, maybe a counterintuitive way of, of emphasizing the, the joy of the moment.
0: Yeah, that sounds like a really fun a fun party too, you know, celebrating this victory. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of a time in my campaign where where my party arrived at the, the you know the first pirate council meeting that had had been held in years. Uh, and, and you know this meeting was being held in response to a, a serious danger, you know, a serious threat to the pirates way of life. Uh, the the empire is closing in Hmm. dark cultists were summoning, you know, summoning beasts that are raising the water levels. But for a brief moment, all of these pirates were seeing each other for the first time in a long time in a safe place. In you know, think, think Nassau in the like 1700s where Hmm. the height of piracy, you know, things like this. And they just let go of all that baggage and all the players had moments where they, they met with some characters that were part of their background. They got to share a drink, play some darts, you know, just just have a good time. And that, that moment still sticks with them. You know, when they're trying to get through other moments, of other cinematic moments of turmoil or stress, they'll bring that back up and they'll be like, well, you know what? We're just going to have to get through it so we can party like we did when we were back at Hammerhead Bay. So it's right. It it, it really came full circle to me. And that's how I knew that to them that moment meant a lot. You know, it it's it's funny how sometimes a cinematic moment might happen. And sure, you know, we're always trying as game masters to make every moment as cinematic as it can be. That's right. But sometimes certain moments stick in the players' heads and you're like, yeah, you know what? That was great. That was pretty cinematic. And I'm Mm -hmm. I'm happy that it's so memorable for you. But,
1: um, yeah, uh, Matt, I just realized what my point was. Point part two of my point back in the action section. Oh, sure. Yeah. Let's, let's, so if we can splice that, splice that back in, maybe. Uh, the second thing that I wanted to mention was, uh, using skill challenges as a way of emphasizing action. Uh, this was a holdover to me from fourth edition where I first saw it implemented. Uh, but the idea of an encounter happening through a series of, Challenges where you have to have a certain number of successes in order to win the encounter, and so that that has become a fun way for me to challenge the players in a non-combat way. But I have found that that becomes a very cinematic means of driving story as well, because uh, not only are you uh, laying out here's what needs to happen and here's how many successes or failures you need to resolve the the encounter one way or another, uh, but you are you're interpreting the roles to indicate how well or how poorly the, the challenge is going. And so Mm, that, that's been a fun way for me to, uh, to add cinematic elements. And really some of our more memorable moments have been through these skill challenges. Some of our heaviest laughter has come (laughs) (laughs) as the players are trying the craziest things to try and get through it. That's yeah, That sounds great. And I'm happy. I'm
0: happy you remembered red because I agree with you a hundred percent skill challenges. I do skill challenge skill challenges as well. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm not even running D and D anymore. And I still do skill challenges, you know, based on the way that that fourth edition does, the Dragons uh, taught me to. So I I think part of the reason, in fact, why skill challenges lend themselves so well to making action sequences feel cinematic is because they can physically in terms of like actual time, They can be done very quickly. You Mm -hmm. you know, players can roll dice, they can interpret the results and move on to the next part of the skill challenge in a very short
1: succession. That's right. Because you're not tracking hit points necessarily. Mm -hmm. I mean, there may be hit points involved based on how poorly (laughs) they roll. Uh, But, you know, you're, yeah, like you said, it is a a very progressive way of handling something. And again, because it's so different from combat, uh, I, I think it becomes memorable immediately.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I even like to toy with it sometimes where I just allow my players to go out of sequence. I I'll have, Hmm. I I remember one of the opening games in, in my pirate campaign where I had the players on the ship in the middle of a storm and I was telling them stuff that was going on. And I, I ahead of time warned them. I said, I expect you to interrupt me and say how you deal with these problems. I was, I was just rifling off stuff, you know, one of the catnins got loose, it's falling overboard. And somebody interrupts me to say, I'm going to run to it, wrap rope around it, try to tie it up. I'm like, perfect roll a seafaring check to Very see nice. if you can do that. Things like this. And I found that that chaos that that ensued really replicated the, the feeling of chaos and the mm-hmm. feeling of, of being overwhelmed by this storm, and allowed for the action sequence to really shine. Exactly. So,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah i like that that free form approach and uh that that may be something that i work into our games i i really like that yeah it really worked
0: well i i had to caveat it to my players first because it wasn't something that you know all players are are going to do there maybe they think that you have you know the scripted out thing that you want to say and they're not going to jump in so i i would just caveat by saying tell your players that you expect them to stop you or or maybe pause and let them see what happens and then keep talking things like that yeah but uh, it's fun uh, all right so then that brings us to the fourth category and this one i i'm starting to think about how this relates to emotion because i agreed with you Rhett, when you said that most of the cinematic moments are are kind of being born out of an emotion or an excessive emotion of hmm and perhaps there's one here and I haven't thought of it yet, but this is for like panoramic descriptions or, or just, you know, descriptions in general. I'm, I'm picturing like the breath of the wild intro scene moment, you know, when you walk <laughs> up the Hill and you look over and you see the ruins and the mountains and the rivers. I love doing that in my games, especially yeah. when I'm kicking the game off. It's like the kind of the first thing I say is this little scripted paragraph that sets the groundwork for the rest of the adventure. And I find those moments feel very, very cinematic. You, you can almost feel the camera pan as I give my description. So I, I guess I'll, I'll pass it to you, Red. Do, do you do this kind of thing? And do you feel like they're, they are cinematic? And if so, perhaps there's an emotion there that I'm not thinking of that you, you,
1: maybe you are thinking of? <laughs> sure. No, I, I'm fully with you here. Um, yes, absolutely. Panoramas are great for cinematic touches, if only to establish a sense of the place mm-hmm. and the great thing about it is as you use descriptive language to draw out details of the landscape uh the great thing is you don't have to inject emotion into it what you do is you set up your words in a way that you're trying to elicit emotion from the players mm, uh, I see. so maybe for somebody maybe a player at your table maybe they're terrified of the ocean Thalassophobia is a real thing and so you're describing a beach, and the waves are rolling in, and to one player who maybe comes from a marine biology background, that's comforting. To another player, that's a, that's a source of terror. So you're just laying out the words, and then letting the players, and then by extension their characters, react as they should to the scene. So I, I think the emotion is there, you're just letting the players interpret it the way that they want to.
0: Mm that i love that but perfect you're tying it all together for me Rhett. that's great (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: and and with with that to your other question matt is that um yeah i absolutely use i one of the things that i think i'm strongest with is describing scenes and i I do have some examples that we can get to maybe in this in the in the strategies section of our talk sure yeah uh, yeah i love setting the scene through words because um you know, that's how, that's how I feel. I draw my players in. Awesome. Yeah. I, and I think you're, you're very, you're very right
0: there. And that might segue into also, like you're saying, these, these strategies for, for being able to elicit those emotions. So I, I'm looking forward to, to hearing what you have to say and sharing some of my strategies with you guys listening to. So, so let's move on to then the fifth. And what I believe to be the the, the final category of cinematic moments but, you know, I've been surprised before, so there might be something else that comes out. <laughs> and 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 speaking of surprise, this fifth category is plot twists. Mm-hmm. So th- these are moments that are cinematic by virtue of the shock that they elicit, or perhaps the surprise that they elicit in your players. So it, it can be something like a secret big bad, or it can just be an outcome or a situation that players didn't expect. You know, th- they reached the top of the mountain expecting to fight the dragon, but the dragon is actually an illusion that Mm. a mage has cast. Things like this, you know, just changes in the expectation and, and playing with that sense of uh, sense of vision, not vision. I, I I feel like I'm rambling here, but does that make sense to you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm following (laughs) you.
1: And really, I guess in my mind, as I'm thinking about it while you're talking, I see plot twists having a very similar construction as your average horror movie you're taking something that is familiar and comfortable and then Mm. you're breaking it and so if you if you notice the theme in horror movies the first ones to go are always the authority figures and that's because the director is trying to establish you're losing control and so you see them get snuffed out pretty quickly in movies leaving those who are generally seen as maybe not as able to take care of themselves. In the same way, when we introduce a plot twist as DMs, we're hoping that we're playing on that theme of comfort and of here's the way it's been, here's what you're expecting, and now we're going to twist it in a way that you weren't expecting with the hope of maybe leaving things off uh, so that you're now having to react instead of go with the way you were expecting it to go and so we as with I, i'm sure every dm we love throwing in plot twists because it keeps the game interesting for us we're we're building towards that moment and here you know going back to the beginning of our discussion we're we're building 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 and then suddenly there's that extra step in the dark that we weren't expecting <laughs> and uh and you know that's a great time to end an episode that's a great time to uh maybe even end a season when uh, w- when you're leaving off on that cliffhanger and we can thank charles dickens for his serial approach to writing stories for for inventing the cliffhanger so to speak yeah for <laughs> sure it's yeah it's, it's a great way to give yourself the time to make it look
0: like the plot twist was something you had thought of all along you know
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and yeah that's that's a great way of looking at it too uh plot twists can also be us not knowing how to, uh, how to proceed. And so we're taking a break to figure out what comes next.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm,
1: absolutely. I've definitely, I'm guilty of both of those things, right? The, uh-huh. the plot twist that you,
0: you carefully take care of the the, the plan. You carefully take care of the seed that grows into this amazing narrative and then has a nice knot in the middle. But then there's also <laughs> the moments where the players went off the rails and you're like, Oh boy, what do I do next? And then you, <laughs> you have to improvise, uh, I think that covers the five categories that I had mm-hmm. thought of, mm-hmm. but how do we make them happen? <laughs> how, yeah. you know, how have we had success in our games? How, what kind of failures maybe have we had in our mm-hmm. games? Cause you know, we're not perfect. At least I know I'm not. So, so yeah, Rhett, why don't I, I throw it to you first. Do you have a moment in your game that sticks with you as the most cinematic thing you've done?
1: And maybe we can try to dissect why that's the case sure sure uh i actually had five things that i came up with in preparation for our discussion and we can go through those but first i do want to share i'll skip to the end as my son and i were discussing how we wanted to run this game i had had an idea in my mind for a while i've been a dm for years and years and years and finally decided you know what i want to actually execute on this idea that i've had i want to incorporate cut scenes into our games uh to add almost a movie-like feeling to them where like in star wars you have these these star fades where it goes from one scene to another and suddenly you're in a completely different corner of the galaxy and something completely different is going on but it all ties into the overall story and i thought man that'd be great so in our fourth episode going stag uh, i incorporated our first cut scene and I'll, i'll I'm happy to read the entire thing at several paragraphs long, or I can just read the first one, Matt. Uh, feel free to pare this down if you like, but I, I'll, I'll read at least the first paragraph. I mean,
0: go, go for it, Rhett. Let's, let's okay. hear it. Yeah.
1: We pull back from where you are, rising high into the sky. Beneath us, the world of Vardalon spins slowly. We shift north and west to another faraway country covering many, many miles. And as we go, we feel the air bite sharply as the temperature plummets. We descend with gentle quickness toward the world again, seeing snow-covered mountains below. A moment later, we can distinguish a heavy stone building. A castle stands in the foothills of these mountains. In the last, late, sunlit moments of the evening, we see light pouring from several windows on the main level. We settle onto the windowsill, slip inside the great hall beyond, and see what happens now. A king sits on an uncomfortable-looking wooden throne. Its sides and arms are covered in intricately carved detail with wooden-eyed animals peering from odd places. The king looks bored, inspecting his nails as another man reads from a scroll. The reading man is dressed in velvety maroon with slashes of gold. He stands near the hall's central fire for both light and warmth and speaks another language than where we just came from. It's easy to tell from his tone that his heart isn't in this. It's obvious the matter is one of routine. A few courtiers sit at tables along the hall's length. They appear equally disinterested in the proceedings. The king suddenly sits upright as a noise from the great hall's entrance doors at the opposite end reaches his ears. There's a heavy sound, and the hall's doors swing open. A grey-cloaked figure with his hood up strides in, his metal-shod boots striking the floor firmly as he heads straight toward the throne. The door guards follow apologetically behind. The echoing footsteps interrupt the reading man, who turns with his mouth still open. His most recent words hang in the air. The striding figure moves without hesitating, head not turning away from the king. It moves without a word by the reader, who stammers incoherently. Perhaps he's blustering about this terrible breach of protocol. The king, at first interested by the diversion, now begins to shift back in his throne, but the carved, unyielding wood does not permit him to. The hooded figure steps one or two paces short of the king and eyes him for a moment. Then, with a swift motion, he draws a sword and plunges it into the king's chest. Time seems to slow as many things happen at once. The door guards come to a dead halt in amazement. Their shocked white faces and open mouths show they had no idea what the stranger intended. The courtiers freeze also, and the reader doesn't notice that the end of his scroll has dangled too close to the fire and has now caught a flame. The king stares down in disbelief at the sword in his chest. He looks up with hazy eyes to the figure then leans quietly against the side of his throne, and dies. And the last thing that happens before time resumes, the hooded figure turns to face the others in the room, pulls back his hood, kneels, and places his hands behind his head. We feel the pull back into the air, leaving this terrible scene. But before we leave, we see the unhooded figure as the door guards regain their sense and close in around him. In the flickering firelight we see no face, but a smooth metal mask. In the place where there should be eyes are two sparkling stones: one jet black, the other milky white. From the very stones of the castle, a throbbing, drumming sound seems to emanate. But we are already drifting back up to the sky, returning to the place from which we came. And so awesome. this this was That's a cut great. scene that I threw in, and it it was completely unrelated to anything that had been happening to this point. And it was a way to introduce the big bad guy. And to progress the story in that direction, completely separate from where the players actually where their characters actually were. Super
0: cool. I love it i love I love your use of descriptive language too. I, I find it really draws you in, right? Having kind of evoking as many of the senses as you can, mm-hmm. talking about the cold wind, hearing the loud thud of the door, mm-hmm. y- you know, the heat of the fire, or you, you know I almost felt the scroll of that of that a scribe catching a blaze you know things like this really draws draws the listeners in it's funny i i mean I, I actually don't ever talk about this on the podcast before but i as a as a student in in my in my wee student days in university i was a tour guide and mm. you know this is a strategy that tour guides use all the time to really immerse people into into the stories that they're telling is to talk about emotions use immersive language and i feel like as game masters that's something we should be doing all the time exactly. not just when we're doing cinematic moments but it's lends itself especially well to making a moment feel cinematic because it really puts you in that moment as a as a person it it helps transport you to it
1: yeah and using all the senses including smell smell is so very often left off the table and really i mean with smell as intimately tied to memory as it is I think we should be using it much more often than we do.
0: Yeah, cool. That That's a fantastic example, Rhett. And, and I think one of the reasons why I loved it so much was because of that immersive language. I, I think using that kind of language can really draw people in. It can really elicit, excuse me, the, the kind of emotion and, and, and get people to react like you said earlier when we were talking about panoramas and descriptions. Can kind of get them to feel something, and it doesn't really matter what, as long as they're feeling something, you're you're on the right
1: track. That's right, and uh, I've found also that starting off each cutscene with a similar introduction, we rise up in a way. Cool. Uh, okay, makes it very easy now for the players to realize when we're entering a cutscene. So by having that standard intro, they know, oh boy, brace yourself because something big is happening. And immediately the focus at the table narrows in on the moment. You know, that's also interesting because if I, if I
0: can go back to cinematography again, and I, and I hate to do this because it's not super relevant, but I find it really interesting how there's these cool parallels. Mm-hmm. One of the strategies that a lot of cinematographers will use when they're trying to make a cinematic moment happen is to really have a shallow field of view. So, you know, blurring the background to a certain degree so that the people in the forefront are the only thing your eyes pay attention to. And I think there's a bunch of parallels here to what you were saying, Rhett. You know, set the groundwork. Make sure you manage the expectations of your players to say, okay, it's a cutscene now. Or, mm-hmm. okay, it's role-play time now. And by doing that, it helps get rid of all the background noise and really allow the players to focus on the one thing that they should be focusing on and that's being immersed. And that's then right. everything else will kind of come from the rest of it, you know? So yeah, that's great. I love that. Yeah. Uh, so Rhett, you, you did have other uh,
1: examples uh,
0: that you had list that you said you had listed out or prepared. Why don't we go to, on to another one?
1: Sure. Um, one quote that I was particularly happy about in, I think our second or third episode, uh, they're walking through a forest and I wrote a, a damp chill seems to rise from the ground. With the result that in the shadier parts, a thick green moss clings to the trees and stones, a sense of being observed runs like a cold, wet finger down your back. So just just trying to trying to emphasize the ickiness of a place through the mm-hmm. language that you use can be very helpful, absolutely, absolutely. And quotes are great. I you know, when I have the opportunity
0: to prepare for my games, it's it's always time well spent to to mm-hmm. write out, you know, a sentence or two to really get that perfect feeling because it's hard. It's hard to be, I mean, for me anyway, some people might be really good at improvising this kind of stuff, but I I find I can never do as well. If I don't, you know, if I write it out and I've got a sentence or two, just describing the throne room or describing the, the murkiness of a cave or whatever, I can Mm -hmm.
1: always really make sure I strike as much of the senses as possible. That's right. And you know, especially as a dm and if you take pride in your in your gamesmanship and everything you want your you want your meaty moments to land mm-hmm. and if you're floundering for the right words if you're not capturing the essence of it uh, i find that that's a lot more disappointing i come away from a game thinking man i really wish i had just written it out and and read it and so that's the approach that i've taken for much of this game where i know things are going to happen where i know where things are headed I go ahead and prepare some things at least to to read that are prepared as flavor text.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm going to talk about something a little different. But obviously, if you have more of your examples and they come to mind, please, please interrupt. I, I want to hear all of them, if if possible. Sure. Uh, but you know, one thing that we kind of alluded to a little bit, and I, I think we owe it to the listeners to be very explicit about this is I, I think moments are cinematic. Moments are cinematic when we can make an you know we can elicit emotion from our players. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, the best way to do that is to do that about the things that they care about in the game. Yes. You know, if, if they care about a person, they care about a place or they care about a thing, or, or even they don't necessarily have to care about it positively. Maybe they have a negative emotion about a place, a person or a thing. But I I think if you focus on those things and you engage your players and you bring forward the things that they want you quote unquote, they want you to bring forward. Then you're gonna have more cinematic moments at your table, like you know, it's almost guaranteed. So I, I, you know, I wanted to kind of lay that groundwork and kind of see how you feel about that. Rhett. do you agree with me? And if so, perhaps there's strategies that you've employed in your games to try and seek that engagement or, or feed, you know, feed the players, stoke the fire continuously, so that you're 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 never running out of moments that you can kind of tap into to be cinematic
1: yeah I, I would say that the thing i've done that most with is with relationships and i don't know that i want to get too much into it in in hopes that some listeners of of yours <laughs> will, will come check us out i don't want to ruin the story of but of course of
0: course uh,
1: i i find that relationships between people and relationships of people to things we've already talked about the spoon the mystic yeah. spoon when when those things are taken whatever that means or or trust is broken. Boy, that that just has a huge immediate impact and that can lead to all sorts of interesting scenes that result from that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I for sure for sure. I mean, one moment that comes to mind for me in my game and I haven't actually tapped into it yet, but I can't wait to make it make it happen is one of my players he's built this relationship up with uh, another pirate from a different crew. Mhm and you know they've become friends they they exchange letters and recently i've kind of invested in i've you know i've invested some of my engagement points if you will on sending her crew the crew of the partner that the npc that's befriended the player character off on a mission that's going to be quite dangerous and she sent him a letter saying if you don't hear from me in 10 days something's gone wrong mm-hmm and, you know, we haven't we haven't gotten to the end of those 10 days yet, but I can't wait to get to the end of those 10 days right. and not send a letter because I know right off of the bat that he's going to drop everything that he's doing unless he's, like, you know, deep in a dungeon somewhere or in a temple, but he's going to likely drop everything that he's doing and urge the rest of the crew to go look after her, to go to go try and complete whatever it is that she's done. Perhaps she's been taken captive, yada, yada, yada. So I, you know like you're saying, Rhett, these relationships can be great sources of, of uh, cinematic moments, but also great sources of time, ways to direct your players a certain way, kind of leverage them to elicit that emotion and, and kind of push them somewhere. I've yet to do it with a place, but I I think a place is another way that, that can be great. You know, you you have a town, maybe it's in their background, their hometown or things like this and you put that village or that town in danger of you know an encroaching army of undead or whatever you name it so it's going to it's going to elicit something from yeah, your players yeah I'm,
1: sure. I'm nodding very heavily over here cuz we we've had place related uh conflict and uh, emotion and it, that actually appeared in one of our cutscenes so um it, it was a double whammy uh we're, cool uh, and that that was especially fun because again this is something that the players only know the characters have no clue that this is happening and so uh there was this interesting tension of table knowledge versus character knowledge and they were in a the, the players were in a hurry to get their characters moving to the next plot point because they they knew that something was up hmm. and so they were they were driving their characters to get to the next thing so that they could discover it for themselves that's cool yeah,
0: yeah. that must be hard uh, mm-hmm. I, i'm sure it's a balance that they have had to you know kind of figure out because exactly you're you're telling them that information as like from a game master to the, to the players for a reason um so yeah sh- showing a restraint yeah but also you know trying to move along to get to get their players to also know about that information is Um, Something else that also comes to mind when we talk about crafting moments that can serve to be the foundation of something cinematic by the virtue of them being engaging is creating challenges that are specific for certain players. You, You create a situation where obviously you're, you're not prescribing the solution. You're allowing the players to come to their own conclusions, Mm -hmm. but the the natural fit for a certain situation might be for the rogue to be the sneaky person and go in and do X, Y, and Z. So you put in a challenge there for them to overcome, for them to, to succeed even with flying colors. And
1: by doing that, you can create moments that are cinematic. Yeah. I I would say the closest we've gotten to something like that, And I think that's important. Again, it's all about the spotlight. It's letting each player have a chance to shine in something that they excel in. Yeah. Uh, I think the closest we've gotten to that recently was I did have another skill challenge, but I made them all go separate ways. And so they each had their own. uh, I think it was a three, three or five check skill challenge. Yeah, it was five um, that they had to go through. And then we're still waiting to see what the result of all that is. But um that gave each of them a chance to dive into their abilities to really figure out how do I want to approach this. And that was the result of that was all unscripted. I, I gave them the challenge and then just let them go with whatever.
0: That's awesome. That's really awesome. I, I like that. Yeah. Sometimes the best thing you can do is to separate the party. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as as long as it creates a fun a fun time, like like sure. it sounds like it did. Yeah, sure. that's really. I've cool.
1: been told not to run any more skill challenges for at least a little while, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, that one was definitely a challenge for each of them. Cool, that's awesome. I I don't know. I like skill. You, Rhett, you don't need to wait. Keep going.
0: Get more skill <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah.
1: What what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? <laughs>
0: exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Um, one other thing that I, I, I have in my little notes here that I wanted to talk about, Rhett, and that's character backgrounds. Mm-hmm. I, I think we can't talk about being engaging and cinematic without talking about how we use the backgrounds that our characters or that our players provide us on their characters. So I, I guess I kind of wanted to flip it to you first. Do, do you have any particular strategies that you like to employ for? taking the seeds that are in, a, in the player background and kind of spreading them into your narrative.
1: Well, I actually, I'm, I'm very glad you've thought of this. I hadn't thought of this aspect of it at all in relation to cinematic approach. Uh, I have changed my approach to character creation. Uh, if you go by the book, you start rolling dice immediately, and you go down the line in, in the Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition book, it's... Yeah uh roll for stats roll or you pick your class your race and all that stuff i start with the background you don't grow you're not born into the job that you're going to have not usually i i suppose there may be a few exceptions but um when when you're born you grow up through a series of events and then as you as you get to a point in your life where you need to pick a profession then you move toward that profession but you're drawing upon your background the whole time. And so I found that by starting with background as the character creation process uh, progresses, you you begin to form a picture of the character, not the numbers, not the stats, not not all the mechanics. You start to see the person as a person, and then you let the other things flow out of it. Then it becomes easy because you've made the background the core of your character, And not just a tacked on thing at the end it becomes easier to work that into the story you know the starting point in the story it becomes easier to draw upon aspects of that throughout the story because it's it's a central part and not just uh something that you threw on because you had to pick something
0: Mm, absolutely and and then by doing that you know you you get the investment you get the it's it's baked in because the character was born there or the character Got married there, or the character fought their first battle, and then now they're the town hero because that's where they beat the monster. You know, so so having that stuff baked into your character is ammunition for your game master. It's ammunition for your game master to create these cinematic moments, right? Or at least that's, that's the way exactly I see it. Right.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I had one last thing I wanted to share, and uh, that is uh, another thing that I have wanted to do for a long time was to tie in level progression as part of the game. And I think that adds a lot of room for cinematic moments also where you don't just sit down at the table one time and yeah, well, we just leveled up. So I've got this stuff. Where did that stuff come from? Where did those abilities come from? And so we, we do have special episodes where as each of the players get their characters to another level, uh, we have a special episode set aside for it's a half and half. The first part is the narrative about why they suddenly pick up this new ability. Where did that come from? And then we cut, all right, great, welcome to level, whatever. Now let's take a look at the mechanics. We open up the book, we talk about it, and then we roll the die to figure out how many hit points they're going to pick up. And uh, it it's become a highlight for me uh, to to work that into the story, to make it not just something that uh, again is tacked on, but rather becomes a central part of your character's development. That's a really that that's really cool, um, and I think more people should do that. <laughs> yeah, and when it comes down to it, you know, I guess the the final analysis of it all is if you examine your game as it's played, and you find places where you think, you know, it'd be neat if I knew more about. I think those are prime candidate areas for places to focus on expansion and trying to find ways to, uh, to make it cinematic, to make it stand out more. Mm-hmm. And then by constantly assessing and trying to find ways to, to improve the story, you're going to stumble across places where it's just ripe for, for adding this kind of element.
0: Absolutely. And, and I like that, you know, you, you, kind of helped wrap the bow, red. Cause that's something that I do on the show all the time is try to, try to pick the big takeaways mm-hmm. uh, so that the listeners, you know, if maybe they're driving or running or doing something that they can't pay full attention to us, at least if they listen to these five minutes, they, <laughs> that's, that's they right. they, they get the gist of it. So yes, absolutely. And if I can add to that, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a song and dance, right? You, you're, planting these seeds and you're giving these descriptions with your immersive language as a game master as much as you can, and then also focusing in on the things that your players are focusing in on. And by kind of going back and forth and back and forth, you can elicit emotion, which is a core component for a cinematic moment. By Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I I like that summation. So so with that, unless you have anything to add about... um... Cinematic moments and engagement. Rhett, uh, I'd love for you to, you know, say goodbye to the listeners and tell them where they can find you, find your show. When does it? When does it air? Things like that, so that they sure. can
1: circle back. Well, I appreciate first of all, Matt. You offered me the opportunity to chat with you. I I really enjoyed our previous chat, and I really like this one. And uh, just appreciate you taking the time to to give me this opportunity. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Dice, And it's spelled the same way, Dice. And then uh, we, uh, we are hosted through Podbean. We drop episodes every Monday. Uh, and we are found on every major podcasting platform. We just got added to the Ghana uh, platform in India. So we're trying to spread it across the world a little bit. Cool. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so we're... We're finding ways to to reach out even more. Uh, I am a player in a game called Sojourners Awake, if you want to look for that one also on Twitter. And uh, I play a, a bard who uses the power of words. <laughs> so I think maybe that's appropriate. <laughs> wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah. But uh, yeah, just uh, if you're looking for family-friendly content and, uh, again, a four-year catalog of content to to breeze through we'd love to have you join our virtual table and
0: Rhett, do you do you have a place where players where you recommend um your prospective listeners start is is there are there summary episodes or should they go right for episode 1
1: how do you how do you recommend people uh consume the backlog of your of your show sure uh like any proud parent i would say that they're all worth listening to <laughs> However, we do season recaps of, of, uh, of our seasons. And so if you want to just start with one of those, we are in season four. And so if you wanted to start with season three recap and then move on from there, you certainly could do that. Uh, I would say that our catalog is about half as big as it appears. Uh, we are at, at about 50% actual play, 50% world building slash special content. So it's not as daunting as it looks.
0: Mm, that's true yeah yeah that's a good thing to mention that you've got your world building episodes because i you know there might be folks if you enjoy listening to roleplay chat i'm sure you'll also enjoy the world building discussions i've listened to quite a few of of the ones that Rhett has uploaded and and they're they're quite nice you know that you get to kind of peek in behind the curtain to see how some folks create their worlds and the inspirations that they have and then obviously of course a lot of folks who listen to this would also be interested in, in an actual play as well. So it's a, it's a good combination of things that I'm sure uh, people listening to Real play Chat would want to chime in to. Yeah. Appreciate that, Matt. Yeah, well, yeah. And appreciate you, Rhett, for being here. Thank you. Uh, thanks again. And with that, let's call it a chat.